Well, as you, as you watch uh, a, a movie or maybe you read a book or you hear a story, you have all sorts of characters within in that story. And depending on who you think the main character is, might kind of determine what you think the main point of, of that story is. So, for example, like uh, growing up, I, I love Star Wars and still enjoy it as well. And if Star Wars, those first, mo- those first three movies that came out, if you think Luke Skywalker is that main character of the story, well, it's probably this coming-of-age story, and you just follow him along and see his growth, and, and you kind of grab onto that. But if you are uh, kind of on the darker side of things, and you, you love Darth Vader, there's some, some people, that would be the main character. And uh, if that, you grab onto that, then it, it's, there's this redemptive arc um, at the end. I know I'm a spoiler of sometimes of movies, but it's way at the end, so you have to watch all of them to find that spoiler, but it's an old movie, so if you haven't watched it, or if you're like me as a kid, the Ewoks, they were kind of the main character, and I was just an elementary, stu- elementary school kid, so I don't, I don't know if I was looking for a main point in anything really at that point in my life, but, um, but it matters, and it, it matters in Old Testament stories when you look at them as well, and sometimes you might grab onto a character, and you might come to a, a main point that might not be the main point of that story, even as we look at Ruth and the story of Ruth, if, if you see Ruth as, as the main central character throughout the story, then you may see Ruth as a book about moral character, and you might follow the moral character of Ruth and how she was hardworking, and she had that sacrificial love for Naomi, and she endured and persevered. And of course, in Ruth, we glean all of those things from Ruth, because those are important. We do learn from Ruth, but I don't know that that's the main point of the story. Or maybe if you see Boaz, Boaz and Ruth and their relationship, they're the main characters. And that relationship is the key to the story. You might see the main purpose of Ruth being that of a story of romance and that of teaching us about marital relations. And yeah, you can, we can learn from that. And we can learn about that in Ruth. But I don't know that that's the main purpose and the main theme within that story of Ruth, of this true story of Ruth in this account. I think as we read through this, we see that the main character in Ruth, as it is throughout the Old Testament, is the sovereign God. It's the Lord God. He is the main character within these stories. And then we see, if we look at that, we see that we see that the main purpose of these stories, they show us the sovereign workings of God, even in this story specifically through suffering through bringing about redemption, by bringing about rescue, by showing his loving kindness in the midst of a broken world in a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we're reminded of this. So we see the providential care of God for his people, now, both in big and small ways as we look at Ruth. And it's a story, again, a story about our God. It's a story about him as our redeemer, ultimately. And not just about some moral lessons that we can learn from that. So, as we look at Ruth, and we look and we think of the main character of God, may, may we continue to be looking for what God is doing in the midst of these stories, in the midst of what is going on between Ruth and Naomi. And as we begin, if you haven't been here the last few weeks, we are in Ruth, and we've kind of 
done a recap from week to week of what's going on in the story. And today we want to do that too. But I'm going to try to do a really quick flyover, uh, hopefully a, a quick trailer um, of that. And I'm going to read it a little bit so I can keep on point so that I don't take 10 minutes to do a recap. And then you guys are all wondering when I'm going to get done. And initially, actually, this week, I was going to do the whole chapter of Ruth, uh, of Ruth, the whole chapter of chapter two of Ruth. Uh, But after I'd had like 11 pages of notes and it took me about an hour to get through, I thought to myself, I'm going to have to break this up a little bit or I'm going to have to just put it uh, on two times speed. And I didn't want to do that either. So anyway, so recap. So it begins. There's this low point, this tragic point in the life of a family from Judah. And it's that of the family of Elimelech and Naomi. And we'll see that Elimelech dies. Naomi's husband dies, and her two sons die when they're in Moab. They go to Moab because they're seeking relief from the famine that's in Judah. And the husband, the sons die, but they've married Moabite women. So these daughters-in-law, remember there's Ruth and Orpah, and we find out they're barren. They haven't had children. So in this family, in the line of Naomi, There is no children to carry on the name of Elimelech, which means there's no one to carry also the inheritance to inherit the the land that was due to them, that was promised to them through the promise of God for the people of Israel. And it's this low point where Naomi sees her life and says there's no hope, no life, there's nowhere to go. And she tells Ruth and Orpah to go, but they don't at first. But Orpah eventually returns. She goes back to, to Moab. But Ruth, what does Ruth do? She clings to Naomi. She binds her life and her future to Naomi. But she doesn't just bind her life and future to Naomi, but she binds her life and future to to the Lord God, to the one true God. She responds in faith and loving kindness to both God and in love to Naomi. But in the midst of this, we, we saw last week, Naomi, she's just in this dark cloud of sorrow and loss and despair, and all she can see is bitterness. And when she looks at the hand of God, she just sees bitterness. And she only sees the Lord as being against her. And we also talked about last week that we should be slow to condemn Naomi um, as she walks through the loss and the difficulty and the struggle. Remember, she's, she's so much in this cloud that she just sees a cynical kind of picture of who God is and what God is doing. And as I studied that, some of the commentators, they're a little harsh on Ruth, but I think they're harsher than even the book of Ruth, the writer, the author of Ruth is, and God, because we see that God responds with abundance to Ruth. And I read just a a quote from a friend as we were talking about this. He said, I think this is true, it shows that God is merciful and gracious even to his wrestling, bitter, complaining people. Um, so we should be a people full of mercy and grace with one another as well as, as we walk with one another through difficulty and suffering. So today we're going to look actually just at verses 1 through 7 in chapter 2. And we're going to have one main point and then some subpoints under that. So uh, my, I'm sure my seminary professor in preaching would give me fa- a failing grade on this sermon and the way it's structured, but just, just um, hang in there with me. So we got one main point. That main point is God's hand of provision. God's hand of provision through our circumstances. And we see that in, in different ways that God is moving and he is at work in the life of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz and really the people of Israel and really even our lives as this story reaches all the way to us 
today. And the first thing we see in the circumstances where God is moving is it's just the right time and the, and the right people involved here in this story. I'm going to read verse 1, but first I'm going to read the last verse in chapter 1, though. Verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan uh, of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So it begins here, and before we get into the second act, really, of this story, there's this initial kind of introductory footnote at the beginning. I don't know if it's really, I don't know if you'd really call it a, a footnote or an introductory footnote. I'm not a very good, at, I'm not very good at grammar, but... Um, there's this kind of intro where before we get into the story, they're like, okay, Boaz is coming. I want you to know who Boaz is. And it tells about Boaz and who he is as a main person in this story, one of the actors in it. And he is one who is from the clan of Elimelech. That means he's from the family of, of the deceased husband of Naomi. And he is one that we're going to see very soon that as a relative, that he is one who can stand in as one who can redeem the family in the sense that he could be one who marries Ruth. And through Ruth, there could be a continued line of Elimelech. So we begin to see a little bit of hope here. Boaz is here and it, it describes him. And in your translation, it might be a little different. Uh, from translation to translation, but it says a worthy man in the ESV. And this is one of those, one of those phrases that is difficult to translate. It, it, it's full of meaning, and depending on the context, it can mean different things. So maybe your translation says a man of standing or a mighty man or a man of wealth. And all of these things incorporate, as I studied through it, it's speaking about his character, Boaz is a man of character, and it's seen right at the very beginning. He is one of character. He is as a, a knight in shining armor, in a way, one of character who's there, ready to redeem. So we begin to see the right people are there at the right time as we go in. So there's hope. This is a picture of hope as Boaz, a relative of Elimelech. He's here. He's a worthy man. He's ready. And then verse in chapter 1 that we talked about last week, it ends by saying that they, they go to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So the barley harvest has begun. Harvest has begun. If you remember, we talked about that a little bit last week, how it was a time where there's hope. There's no longer famine, but harvest. And we're reminded too, though before harvest, there's also the furrowing of the fields and we've seen that in the life of Ruth and Naomi. There's been a furrowing of the field. And yet, there'll be harvest that comes. And I'd read a, a few lines last week from an Andrew Peterson song, the Sower's song. This says, Oh God, I am furrowed like the field, torn open like the dirt. And I know that to be healed, that I must be broken first. I'm aching for the yield that you will harvest from this hurt. So harvest is coming. So that's the right time the right people, the right person, really, Boaz is there. And then verse 2, we see the right word, God's word. And uh, you might be wondering, how do we see God's word in this and what's going on? Well, what Ruth does is based on a provision 
in God's law, his word, for those who are widows, who are sojourners, who are the poor. So we'll read that. Verse 2, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I, find, I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So here we see that Naomi is giving Ruth permission to go, and Ruth is ready to go. And Ruth and Naomi themselves as widowers and as Ruth as a Moabite foreigner, there wasn't a lot of options for her to have wealth, to have food, to, to, to enter into a place where there's safety and provision. Uh, one commentary said it this way, that a single woman during that time, that there's, there's only a few things that she could do. She could beg. She could sell herself into slavery. She could become a prostitute. She could look for a husband among the eligible men of the village or seek support from her nearest male relative, and we'll see that later on. Or for these two months of harvest, she could glean. She could glean from the grain, from the harvest. And that gleaning, that just means gathering during the time. So as harvest has come, there's potential to gather. And the gleaning was from that which was left over. There were those who could come in and gather the leftovers and provide food for themselves. And this comes from vision that God gave the nation of Israel. In Leviticus and Deuteronomy, we'll read some passages where God made provision. And we'll see that that God cares about those who are in need, those who are poor and widow and, and the sojourner, the foreigner in the land. There needed to be provision for them. So Leviticus, let me just read from Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. Listen to this. When you reap the harvest of your land, you should not reap your field right up to the edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the falling grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them to the poor. And for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 22 says, When you reap your harvest in the field, in your field, and forget a sheave in the field, you shall not go, go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterwards. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. So there's this provision in the Old Testament for those in need. God cared for those who were in need, the fatherless the sojourner, the foreigner in the land, and the widow. And there's provision here. So we see that in God's law, written several hundred years before this time, there was provision. And in God's timing, and in God's sovereignty, it provided for Ruth and Naomi. And not just for Ruth and Naomi, but we're going to see that in God's plan, as we've been talking about, that this plan of God's redemption reaches not just to their family, but to the whole nation of Israel and extends even to us. Because we're going to see that the great, 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 great grandson of Boaz, of, of um, Boaz, but of, and Ruth, of their son Obed, is Jesus, King Jesus. So this reaches, there's this provision. And I love 
God's word that is a provision for me. I know throughout my life there's been times just as I'm reading, I'm just in a desperate place, or even times of joy where God's word is such a provision. It's that daily bread that I need where just in the right moment, the Lord reaches down and rescues my heart or, or reveals sin. And the Lord in his right timing and his sovereignty uses his word to impact. And we see that here. Deuteronomy 10, 17 through 19 says, For the Lord your God is the God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. So there's this provision again in God's word, not just to, to leave some food for them, but actually love the foreigners. Love a woman like Ruth, a Moabite woman, and love her. And it was different than Egypt. They didn't have such kindness in Egypt when they were slaves in Egypt. And the, our God is a God of grace and mercy that is greater than that of the world. So we need to be a people, too, that are filled with kindness and mercy for the sojourner, for the fatherless, for the widow. But provision, we see provision in the right timing for Ruth and Naomi. Then verse 3, we see this right heart and active obedience that the Lord uses. And Ruth just setting. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened, she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan, the clan of Elimelech. So here, here we see Ruth. And she heads out. She goes out to the fields to, to glean, to gather those leftover parts of the harvest. So we see of Ruth, she doesn't just sit. She doesn't just sit at home. She doesn't just sit at home wondering what she should do or plan about planning, about planning to plan to go do something. But she sets out and actually does it. Uh, I'm sure you've heard the phrase before. uh, And the more you hear it, it sounds cheesier and cheesier each time. But it's a true statement. But that paralysis by by analysis, that can happen in our lives. And if you're like me, I'm I'm a plotter, which isn't a bad thing. But I can be slow to, to... move past the thinking of what I should do, but to move on. But she, she presses forward, and she puts herself in a place that it's a bit vulnerable. She's a widow, she's a foreigner, and she's out in these fields. And we're going to see later on in the context, we see that, uh, that it's possible that she could go to another field where she wasn't treated as well as she was with, with Boaz. So there's some risks there, but she goes out and she doesn't just sit, but she presses ahead. And often we need to, to not just sit and think, but often we need to press ahead on the things that the Lord has laid upon our heart and do those things. But Naomi at this time, she's still in, a, in just a cloud of sorrow and loss. And it's hard for her to even think, I believe, about being proactive. But Ruth, she steps in. And sometimes in the midst of our, our cloud of grief, it just we need that first step. We need to take that first step, that first small step of obedience. And sometimes we need someone like Ruth to step in and help us and even for us take that first step forward. And Ruth is interceding talking with Naomi. And we talked about that last week, that she is one who cared for Naomi in the midst of suffering. And then she finds herself. She just happens to be, right, 
in the field belonging to, to Boaz, one of the relatives of Naomi's deceased husband, Elimelech. But God's hand is working in this, we see, in bringing her to this point. But Ruth, again, she doesn't just sit, but she presses forward and she walks in wisdom. She walks in diligence. She takes responsibility. And she doesn't know, she doesn't know that this is Boaz. She doesn't even know who Boaz is. She's just going in obedience and providing for Naomi. And I think in this, in this chapter, we see the balance and the interplay between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. We see God working, and we also see Ruth walking in obedience and going out. She doesn't just sit at home, but she, she presses for. She doesn't just wait to for God to bring, but she knows that she's called to go. So she goes, and she, she goes to the field. It's a little bit like uh, uh, a joke, a story that maybe you've heard before of a man who it's t- during a time of a flood and a flood comes in and the waters begin to rise and he's out on the front porch and it kind of the water comes up to the porch and boats begin to come and help rescue people from their homes and a boat comes by and, and says to the man, uh, come, why don't you get in? We're rescuing people. The flood's going to continue to rise. And the man just says, no, no, God's going to take care of me. And then the waters continue to rise, and he has to go up to that first floor. And the boats come by again, and, and the same man says, hey, get in. We're here to rescue you. Get in the boat. The waters are going to continue to rise. And he says, well, no, uh, God is going to take care of me. And then the waters continue to rise, and he gets on top of the roof, and the boats continue to come by. And the same guy comes, hey, this is the last opportunity to get in the boat. And he says, no, I'm good. God's going to take care of me. And then uh, the waters continue to rise. And, and the man uh, dies in this flood. And he goes to be with the Lord. And he is before God. And he says, God, I thought you were going to take care of me. And he said, I sent you three boats. <laughs> and, and it's a little bit like that often. We're like, Lord. And he, so now, there are walks of obedience, things he calls us to, to go out. And do those things. And in this, we see Naomi who goes out and obediently goes. Again, she's not looking for Boaz, but God's hand is sovereignly moving in that. And we see that, that God is not absent. He's not unaware of what's going on with Ruth and Naomi. And he's about his rescue plan, even though, even though Ruth didn't know that those steps were going to lead to ultimate rescue and redemption of her family and, and not just them but reaching all the way out to us this morning of the redemption that we have through Jesus Christ but God moves through our steps those small steps even of obedience I think of Proverbs sixteen nine that says the heart of man plans his ways but the Lord establishes his steps or Proverbs sixteen thirteen: the lot is cast into the lap but it, it it's every decision is from the Lord our Proverbs twenty twenty four, man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his ways? So there's all these things in our life that the Lord is established. We, we plan our ways, but it's the Lord that establishes our steps. And there are things in life that others might just see as happenstance or, or just something that co- by, happens by coincidence, but we know that the Lord is moving the Lord is doing a work, and we see, and we can see God's hands in those things as we just faithfully do what He's called us to do. I think of a, a time 
when we just moved here to Loveland. We hadn't been here very long at all, and we were at Derby Hill, and, and just beginning as Calvary Derby Hill, and Kelly and I, we were eating with um, another couple who had come to visit, and we were at Chick-fil-A, um, because that's where Christian couples go to eat lunch, right, and eat Jesus chicken. So we were at Chick-fil-A. Can't do that now, but um, maybe in a few months, maybe. I don't know. So we were at Chick-fil-A, and we were just talking about Calvary Derby Hill and stuff that was going on. And then someone came up and said, what, what church are you, what are you talking about? You know, what are you talking about? Can you tell me a little more? And we did. And, and that was um, Bonnie, who, Bonnie and Ed, who are, who are here. And they joined us very early on in the replant. have been a huge part of what we were doing. They're traveling today, so they're not here. But um, this, those little things that the Lord, it was just establishing our ways, just little walks of obedience. Or even us coming to Derby Hill, one of the first steps was, uh, as you guys know, I'm from, grew up in Greeley, and I was visiting my parents, and through, through them, through different circumstances, they uh, had met someone who had then invited me, or someone that we knew, who invited me to a meeting with the Longs Peak Baptist Association, and at that meeting, Calvary Family of Churches was, was presenting about replanting, and um, the Derby Hill Search Committee, as they their pastor was just about to step down, they were at that meeting. I didn't really meet, we didn't have a lot of conversation then, but it was God's hand beginning to move forward and bring me, bring me here. So the Lord does those things as we walk in obedience, as we do just, just that next step of obedience, that next right thing um, as we, we kind of press forward. And then verses 4 through 7, we're going to have a big, big chunk here, verses 4 through 7. And in this, we see just right everyday circumstances that the Lord is working out. God's hand is at work in the midst of this. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi, country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she had continued and she has continued from early morning until now, except for just a short rest. So here we see that Boaz at the very beginning of verse four says, and behold, or maybe you might be, lo and behold, maybe your translation says, now at that very moment. Uh, so God's providential hand, he came at the right time from Bethlehem, the day that Ruth was in the field. And behold, he was there, and he sees Ruth, that we're going to see in a little bit. But before we get there, we see, well, what is the first thing we see on the lips of Boaz as he speaks? He says, the Lord be with you. So he has the Lord God, Yahweh be with you. So the, the name of the Lord God is on his lips. And the, the men who are working for him, they respond, the Lord bless you. May Yahweh bless you. So this is a little bit more than the common greeting of just shalom. But they had the name of the one true God on their lips. And again, they're living in a time where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
But here we see one, a remnant who still trusted and served the one true God. And Boaz is one who, who followed and trusted the one true God. And we see that God is working in this man. He's the right one to come and redeem this family. And then we see continued there after that, that Boaz, he, he sees Ruth, something catches his eye about her. I don't know if it was just as a Moabite woman, you can tell maybe from her dress that she was different. Um, if, you live, if you live in different countries um, overseas, sometimes you'll see people from other countries like Europe and different things, and then you kind of guess. You're like, I bet they're from Germany, or I bet they're from just how they dress. And everyone knows Americans because of how we dress. So I don't know. I don't know what caught his eye. Uh, maybe it was a way that she was, she was gleaning, or maybe she was just, just her beauty. And he catches her and he says, who, who does that woman belong to? So what he's asking, he's asking for the identity of Ruth. What's her identity? What family is she part of? Who is this woman? She, he wants to know. And he asks about these things. So they tell him, this is the Moabite woman. This is the one who came with Naomi. You know, the one everyone's been talking about. Remember, Bethlehem's not very big. Everyone knows about this situation. And it may be that Boaz is just being brought in, but the word has gone out about everything that Ruth has done and the way that she has cared for Naomi. And then they begin just to give a short little commentary on the ethic of, of her work, that she's worked from early morning until now, and she's only taken a short break. So she stood out already. She is a, a diligent woman that is working in this field and has caught their eye. And it's just like the time when, when Kelly, Kelly caught my eye and when we were in Louisville, Kentucky, and we went to the same church and I, I led a, a, a small, helped lead a small group with singles. And Kelly, well, she was at everything that we had. If we had a service or a fellowship or an outreach or whatever it was, and she was there, and she was active, and she was serving, and she was caring for people, and um, she caught my eye. And we see that Boaz, I want to know a little bit more about this, but God's hand is in this moment. Uh, sometimes it is just God's provision and his graces, that manna grace, that daily bread, just little by little, and we see this, this step forward. And as we look at this, too, and we look through this story, we really, we don't see anything, anything supernatural, like as in a miracle that happens here. These are, though, in the true sense, a miracle by the hand of God, using normal circumstances to bring about his plan of redemption and rescue and salvation. That's often how he works in our life, by, by little ways that he is moving and acting and doing his work. And again, this reaches all the way out to King Jesus, who's going to be a relative of Ruth and Boaz. And then I think of Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, that speaks about Christ. And it says, But when the fullness of time had come, the right time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So again, God, in the right timing, sent his son, Jesus Christ. But it began uh, even before this story. But this is one important key in the heritage of Jesus Christ, in the hand of our God rescuing. So we, too, are called often to rest in God's hands, rest in, in those moment-by-moment things that he walks us through, even small steps and acts of obedience that God will use. And often that is the way it is, these unseen things by anyone else 
God that we're called to obediently do over a lifetime, and the Lord uses them to do a great work. And often we don't even know, we don't even know what that great work is and how he's using those, those little steps that we take, those little, little acts of obedience. And I, even this morning as we were, we gather and we'll pray uh, with the worship team and others that are here in the morning. And um, as, as John Green was praying and sharing verses, I thought to myself, I wonder how many ways the Lord has used a little verse that, that John has spoken to someone to, to just do mighty things that we don't know about, right? The Lord does that. He does that. And maybe this morning that small step that he's calling you to is just to, to follow Jesus Christ. And it's a huge step. But to maybe just even to mark the card saying, hey, I want to follow Christ. Or to, to reach out by email or if you're online through Facebook saying, I just want to know about following Jesus and taking that first step of things. That's how the Lord works even today, um, not just here in America, but across the world. This week I received, I'm going to close with this. This week I received a story, a true story, an account of testimony from a missionary who lives overseas, lives in the Middle East. And it's one that's connected with us. And if we weren't online and recording, I, I would tell you who. But for security reasons, I just won't mention. Um, but she shared this, this story. And... You guys know how I am. When I read stories like this that are really like just the moving of God, I have trouble reading them, and I'll try not to. I'll try to get through it without getting weepy. I may have I have Caleb come up and read it for us, but <laughs> I'll try. So, but she just wrote this week. Um, she was speaking about how um, she has an Arabic teacher that teaches her, and it's been a sweet relationship with her family. And with um, this teacher, this, this lady that teaches and their family, and it's just been a sweet thing. She's been able to be part of their family as she's learning Arabic. And she tells this story. It says, last week we were discussing how to end a fairy tale. Um, they all lived happily ever after. Well, in Arabic, she told me it is to live happy for." Eternal, that's the way they say it, you know. It's, she said, you know, it's the same in that verse about eternal life. She said, I have a card that someone gave me with a verse from your book about that. She said, I was shocked. Just that morning, I'd been really struggling with the narrow road to God. Jesus is the only way, but daily I'm surrounded by people who do not know him. It can make me weary, and it makes me question, why God? Why? I was praying about this very thing for a few hours before class that day. I was just a little discouraged with my own faith. And I can tell you, living overseas where you're just around masses of people that you know just do not know Jesus, and you wonder how they'll ever hear. There are times, there's times where I was like, why God, why? Why so narrow of a road? So she was wrestling with that. I understand that wrestling. So when my teacher mentioned a verse that talks about eternal life, I started to cry. Said, she, I said, is it this one? I said, I pulled out John 3, 5 through 16, 15 through 16, and translated roughly into Arabic from the English. I then took it up in Arabic on my app, and we read the chapter together. She showed me where the words, uh, she showed me where the words were. Thank you, dear. I, I needed to be reminded of that today. So she's speaking to her. Her tutor, I said, I have always known it was the one unchanging thing in life 
but I forgot for a minute who he really is. I was asking him this morning to remind me. And then the, the tutor, she started to cry and said, people will find it amazing that he used your Muslim teacher to remind you who he is. And then it, it goes on to say how she's begun, that, that teacher began to read the good word, to read the Bible, and she has to kind of do it in secret. And they've continued to talk about these things from this point on. And the Lord works in that. You have a morning where he's just like, throw on your hands up, I can't do it. And then the Lord steps in, in a little way, through a card that someone had given this Muslim gal. And she steps in, and they begin to have a true conversation about the one true God. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for the way that you move and you work in little ways and unusual ways and how you even use just little acts of obedience that we have done throughout our years for your glory. And we don't even know what redemptive purposes you might use when we walk in obedience. And so, Lord, help us. Help us to know that you haven't abandoned us. Help us to know that you are in the midst, even in times of great dark clouds. And Lord, help us, as we've spoken of in the last couple of weeks, just help us to walk well with one another and to love one another and be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another and to be like Ruth and step in and some time and help us to walk those couple feet, those couple steps of obedience and help us trust you. Lord, we thank you for the way that you move and you do miraculous thing to open up eyes to a people to the truth of the gospel. And we pray that you would continue to do that and you would use the missionaries that we love and care for overseas that are in the midst of doing that. We pray for us daily that we would have opportunities and have the wisdom to see it and the boldness to walk through those doors of opportunities, we pray. Help us to rest in you. Help us to know that you are in charge. And help us to walk in obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.